If you look back at your life, the only time you ever think you make a mistake is when you compare your actions to somebody else's values. Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Okay, today's guest is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, an author, and global educator. He has studied over 30,000 books across all defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages which he's shared on stages in now over a hundred different countries. His presentations, whether they be keynotes, seminars or workshops, leave clients with insights into their behavior and keys to their empowerment. He has spoken on stages of crowds of up to 11,000 people at a time. He has shared the stage with some of the world's most influential people such as Sir Richard Branson, Stephen Covey, Robert Kiyosaki, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Donald Trump, and so many more. From the thousands of testimonials he receives annually, his work truly does change lives forever. He has appeared in over 30 documentaries, including The Secret and Rise Up, alongside people like Bob Proctor, Lisa Nichols, Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, John Gray, and so many more. He's been interviewed by thousands of newspapers and magazine publications, radio and TV talk shows all across the globe, and has been one of the biggest faces and names in the personal development space for over four decades. So please help me welcome the man who went from having his own landscaping business at the age of nine to now one of the largest personal development trainers and educators in the world, author of well over 40 personal development books who's impacted the lives of millions of people all across the world. Tune in from his boat in Puerto Vallada, Mexico. My friend, Dr. John Demartini. <laughs> well, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yes. Interviewing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here. And, and I think it just tops it off that you're tuning in from one of my, my favorite country. Uh, I actually love it. So thanks for tuning in and, and making this happen today. It's really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. We have a common place. It looks like Puerto Escondido. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. So I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you so my people can get to know you super fast and then we'll dive into some of the, the juice. Is that cool? Certainly. Awesome. So where did you grow up? Born in Houston, Texas. First 12 years of my life there, 12 to 13, Richmond, Texas, 13. I started traveling around the world. Started, I hitchhiked out to California, went down to New Mexico and went over to Hawaii and started traveling. Awesome. And where do you live now? I live on a private yacht that goes around the world today. That's my primary residence. But I'm really a citizen of the world, literally the, the world, but also world, because we go to every country around the world that's got water. So I love it. I, I'm all over the world. It's incredible. What is your favorite food? If I look at what I eat mostly, I'd have to say probably mango, yogurt 
<laughs> fish and fruit and grains, breads. I love it. All the, all the good stuff, all the brain food. If you could have any type of superpower, what would it be? Um, the continuation to be able to make a difference in speaking and, and inspiring people. That's still the thing I love most. Incredible. And what is your X factor? I think the same thing as I would, would call my growing superpower, or whatever, is the ability to extract information from various sources and integrate that information into a way that can inspire and help people empower their lives. I think that's yeah. what I am greatest at. I love it. And um, who's someone who's inspired you to get to where you are now and why? Well, I've had a lot of people along that way. There's There's thousands of those, but... I had the opportunity to meet Howard Hughes when I was 14, and he had an impact on me because he took me to a library and told me to learn how to read because there's only two things they can never take away from you, and that is your love and your wisdom. So gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom. So that had an impact. Then uh, Paul Bragg had an impact on me when I was 17. Uh, I was 14 when I met uh, Howard, 17 when I met Paul Bragg, and he's the one that made me believe that I, I could overcome my learning problems because I had a learning problem, a speaking problem as a child. Really? And yeah, I didn't know how to, I didn't read until I was 18. And that's why I think Howard Hughes had such an impact on me because both of them said the same message. And that inspired me to believe that I could overcome that and someday read properly and speak properly. So I had a speech impediment as a child too. Wow, that's huge. So at the age of 18 years old, so you've had 18 years of conditioning already cementing this belief in, right, that you've got a speech impediment and struggles with learning. And now you're probably one of the smartest people I've ever spoken to. You've read 30,000 books. Like, what was the journey from actually starting that, like, inside of your head? Was it as a matter of that? And just what you said before, it's like, I just decided that I could believe it. Or did you struggle with it? Or what were your sort of steps to actually starting to fall in love with growth? I left school when I was young. I left home at 13 and left school and um, was a street kid. And that led me, you know, hitchhiking to California and I lived on the beaches there and I lived in Mexico and I was surfing. Surfing was my thing from 13 to 18. Then I nearly died right, right before my 18th birthday, about a month before my 18th birthday. Right a week before my 18th birthday, I was led to a little health food store, to a yoga class, to meet Paul Bragg, to listen to him speak. He was a guest speaker. I never went to classes. It was not my thing. I just surfed. Yeah. <laughs> One night, this man, he did the way he spoke. I was ready for it. It was just the right place, the right time. When the student's ready, the teacher appears. And he, what he said that night made me believe that I could overcome my learning problems. And that maybe I could try again. Mm. And I never thought I was going to be intelligent. I never did read. I used to ask my surfer buddies to read stuff to me. And, but that night I, I just thought, no, I, I'm going to give it a go again. And I eventually, um, I went and bought my first book ever in my life, which was Chico's Organic Gardening and Natural Living. And there was a long haired hippie guy on the front cover that looked just like me. And I thought if that dude could write that book, I bet I could read it. And uh, mainly it was, it was pictures of gardens, which was cool. And I only got it because it, the guy on the front cover. But I went through there and at least looked at every page. The first time I ever looked through every page of a book. I didn't know and understand the wordings, but it was mainly pictures. So I was encouraged. I then flew to Los Angeles and hitchhiked back to Texas. 
And there, my parents encouraged me to take a GED, high school equivalency test, because I never finished high school. And miraculously, by closing my eyes and saying what Paul Bragg told me that night, he said, say, I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. I just started saying that. I just intuitively filled in a pencil mark on a test and friggin' passed the test. I don't know. I can't. It was one of those things that you just kind of go, okay, this must be destiny. And that was amazing because I have now have a high school degree. You know, this GED is a high school equivalency. And I didn't even go to school and I got the degree and it was like amazing accomplishment. My, my parents were like, oh, well, now you can get a job that'll pay you beyond minimum wage, hopefully. And um, then I decided, my parents said, well, the surf is down in Hawaii. Why don't you try to go to school? I think I got nothing to lose. And probably this miracle is going to happen again on whatever test I take. But when I took my first test in college, um, you had to have a 72 to pass. I got a 27. And when I saw that result and there was this massive gap, 78 was the next grade. I was 27. I was so humiliated and so distraught. I ran out of there and ran to my car and sunk down in my car and just cried. I thought, this whole thing is a delusion. I'm not going to be able to do it. And I heard my first grade teacher, who my first grade teacher had my parents come to the school and say, I'm afraid your son is never going to be able to read or write. He's never going to communicate. He's never going to mount a thing. He's not going to go very far in life. He can't read. He can't pronounce. He can't write. You know, he's got problems. Put him into sports because he'll excel in sports. You know, he, he likes to run. I was born with a deformed arm and leg. And so when I got out of my braces at age four, I just wanted to run because I was so locked up in these braces. So I ended up failing this class and I went home and I curl up in the fetal position under this Bible stand in my mother's living room. And was just crying, sulking, really questioning the entire idea of the night I saw Paul Bragg, the vision. Because the night I saw him, I saw me standing in front of a million people speaking. Wow. It's sort of a dissociative wow. identity disorder, I guess. It's just some sort of fantasy that popped in my head. And I really wanted to do that. And my mom came home from shopping and she came, well, She saw me there. She said, what happened, son? She hadn't seen me cry in a long time. Then I left home at 13. And she said, what happened? I said, I blew the test. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I won't be able to read and write and communicate and not think of it. Go very far. I requoted what my first grade teacher said. And she just stood there in silence. Then she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, son, whether you become a great teacher and travel the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, or you return to the streets and panhandle as a bum, which you've done, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do, boy. And when she said that, something only a mom could say probably, my hand went into a fist of determination. And I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying. I'm going to master this thing called teaching and philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. I'm not going to let any human being on this planet stop me, not even myself. I got up. I hugged my mom. I went into my room, I got a dictionary out, and I started memorizing 30 words a day, how to spell them, how to pronounce them, how to use them in a sentence, and my mom tested me on 30 words a day, and that was a major deal. It wasn't an easy thing for the dyslexia. It was, I, I, I'd forget it two seconds after I did it, 
And I just plowed through there and did 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough. And after, you know, 10,000 words in a year, that, that starts picking up the pace. And I started passing it. I started excelling. And believe it or not, people started asking me questions. And I started teaching. And it was the most amazing thing to be able to make, say something intelligent that somebody would benefit by. Yeah. And I it, love it. And I've been doing it ever since that day. I've never stopped reading it never stop writing, never stop teaching. It's been the most greatest thing that's been a blessing in my life. So that's, incredible. that's how I started. It, it's, yeah. it's so like you and I have a very similar story. Like I, I, I think I read, I read my first book cover to cover when I was 23. Um, so I read like bits and pieces I could, but I was like, I've never been labeled dyslexic, but like I definitely have struggled there in the past, but I've found all this kind of wisdom and teaching and stuff as well. And become so obsessed with it because of the transformation that happened. And I think the biggest thing that I love about all of this is that like you're not your past and you're a true testament for that as well. It's like, and it's, it's so often that, you know, cause this podcast is all for, you know, the younger generation as well. And when I speak all around the world and I speak to people and I meet people, it's the same things that are always coming up. It's the fear of judgment. It's the fear like, oh, I'm not good enough or because I didn't, I didn't pass the grades in school or I wasn't that in school. And they think that they can't change or they think that they can't actually evolve and become who they really want to be so for someone who's sort of listening to this and they're thinking and perhaps they're battling some of these things in their head of well when I close my eyes I dream of this and I dream of being on stage and because I I truly believe that if everyone closed their eyes they have that dream that thing that keeps coming back over and over they have that goal that life they want to live and for some reason they talk themselves out of it so I'd love to know well actually I'd love to know first why do you think that most people don't actually act on that dream or vision that they know they have? There's two reasons. The moment you compare yourself to other people, instead of compare your daily actions to your own highest value and real mission, real, real dream. The second you compare yourself to somebody you put above you, you'll minimize yourself. You'll inject their values. You'll cloud the clarity of your own vision. You'll confuse what's important to you. And then you'll end up self-defeating. And uh, the self-defeat is really a, a gift because it's a feedback mechanism to let you know that you're pursuing somebody else's dream, not your own. And you just think it's your dream because you compare yourself to other people. Einstein said, if you're a cat and expecting to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up and think, wow, I suck as a cat. And that's because you're trying to be a fish or a fish trying to be a cat. You know, it doesn't work. So many people compare themselves to others and minimize themselves, exaggerate others, inject their values, and subordinate to that. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Don't try to be second at being somebody else. Be first at being you. And don't live in the shadows of anyone. Stand on their shoulders. So that's number one. And number two is that they sometimes set fantasies from their amygdala instead of real objectives from their executive center. And what they want is an immediate gratifying fix, you know, without a long-term strategic plan and focus and so they don't build momentum and they they don't get a result in a short period of time they think they're failures instead of seeing it as feedback to an ever refined action and they stop premature and because it's not really really important to them many times what they think is important isn't important i have people and i ask people around the world how many of you want to be financially independent everybody puts their hands up even their feet and then I asked how many are financially independent? And they all go down, most of them. A small percentage keeps their hand up. 
And I said, isn't it interesting that 100% of you have your hands up, but less than 1% are going to obtain this statistically. So what most people do is they think they want to be financially independent, but what they really want is immediate gratifying consumerism of depreciables. They go down in value and work their butt off and pay ridiculous taxes on those things that make them temporarily feel better about themselves because they're depreciating themselves, comparing themselves to others and living in the fact idea that I got to show off at the Joneses. Instead of just say, you know what? This is what I really want to do. I'm thinking long-term. I'm going to build momentum. I'm going to buy assets that accumulate dividends, capital gains, rentals, or whatever, and really start making my money work for me and think long-term, think 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and crescendo your financial destiny instead of decrescendo it, living beyond your means and constantly live in debt with compound interest working against you instead of compound interest working for you. And that's where most people are. Majority yeah. of people are living in a fantasy and they, they think of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And that's why advertisements on wealth building is about, you know, showing gold and fancy cars and yachts and this and that and whatever. They, they think, oh, I want that. What they really want is those things. They don't want wealth because they did. It's kind of boring. They just it's a methodical, strategic kind of consistent accumulation of finances. And most people don't really want that. They think they want that. They say they want that. But their actions speak louder than their words. And I'm not interested in what people say. I'm interested in what their actions demonstrate, because that tells me what they really value. Yeah. Okay. So, so it really comes down to a matter of them knowing exactly what they value, what their values are, and staying in alignment, taking action towards that, and not getting mixed up with what their society is, is putting on, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, their so, highest values. Not just their values, but their highest values. The ones that are spontaneously intrinsically driven from within because that's where you don't give up cool so how, how does one discover their true highest values well i've been working on that and doing that for 43 and a half years so i feel like i'm an expert on that area yes that's been my focus so um in my book the values factor which i hope people Amazing will maybe book. get it could change your life yes absolutely it's, get it's, this uh, book, guys yeah. So what it is, is basically you you don't, if you ask them what their values are, I guarantee they're going to tell you BS. They're going to say truth and integrity and honesty mm. and this and that. And Family. Financial. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> I have no interest in BS because those are just social idealisms or what they think it should be. And uh, I'm interested in what their life demonstrates. I'm interested in how they fill their space most. What do they fill their space with most? If you look probably in your life, you've spent, a lot of time on books. You got it probably in computer in front of you. You're researching on a daily basis. You're learning. Mm-hmm. So what your space surrounds you tells you a lot about what's important to you. Then how do you spend your time most? Really, what do you really do spontaneously that nobody has to remind you to do? You don't need extrinsic motivation to do. What do you do with your time? What energizes you most? Because things that are high in your value raise your energy and things lower in your value drain it. Where's your money going? You spend money, make money, find money, on things that are valuable to you. What, what, where's that money going? Mine all goes to investments. <laughs> I invested and I'm financially independent today because of it. And also to education and to travel the world. Look at where your money's going. Then look at where you're most organized and look at where you're most disciplined. What is that you do that nobody has to remind you to do? It's an intrinsic drive, intrinsic value. The thing you do spontaneously, that tells you what you value. Then look at what you think about, what you visualize, and what you internally dialogue with yourself about, about how you really want your life to be that shows evidence of coming true. Not fantasies that have no evidence, but the ones that actually show evidence. 
I had to travel. I wanted to travel the world and teach. I have tons of evidence to prove that. I've traveled over 20 million miles. I spoke in 159 countries now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the go with that. My life demonstrates it. So what does your life demonstrate there? And then you look at what do you want to converse with other people about most? And what do you keep bringing the conversation to? That tells you what you're engaged in. What inspires you and what's common to the people who have inspired in your life? Bring tears to your eyes, thinking about and, and, and focusing on. What is it you have that are consistent, persistent goals that you focus on that is coming true? I want evidence, not fantasies, but evidence. And what do you spontaneously want to learn, read about, study about, watch on YouTube that you constantly want to fill your mind with? There will be a pattern in those questions. If you answer three answers to each one, you'll get a very strong pattern of what's really important. And whatever is the answers that show up most frequent, second most frequent, third are the top three values your life will demonstrate. That gives you a very good indication of what's really important to you, not what you fantasize. And I've been doing value determinations 43 and a half years. And 99% of the people, if I don't go through those sequences, will give me BS. Guaranteed. Been doing it a long time. Yeah. Okay. So what what about the people who I'm just gonna fully generalize here? Okay. So so the people who are more stuck in the the victim mindset still way of living. Maybe they haven't been enlightened yet. They haven't really this is maybe the first podcast I've ever listened to or they've never heard of you yet. And they're answering these questions and they're thinking, Well, you know, I fill a lot of my time with just gossiping and hang watching netflix and surfing or you know what i mean so wouldn't they be my highest values how do i build a life of freedom and and joy in all this if if my values are more um for lack of better words destructive you know if they're not really supporting they're not destructive see that's the thing is is uh you know, try to tell Laird Hamilton than playing and just watching uh videos on surfing and going and surfing every day is is destructive I've known Laird Hamilton since he was almost about seven years old. I surfed with him. Yeah. And I, I guarantee you that that's all he did. Surf, surf. He was a waterman. He lived on that thing. I'm sure people probably thought he's just wasting his time and doing that, but he's one of the greatest watermen in the world. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a waste of time. I had a kid, a, a parent came to me and said, it says, you know, my son, he's 23 years old. He's not doing crap with his life. And he's just sitting in front of a DBT all day. Right. And he's just finishing up college and he's not doing anything. He's just floundering around. And I want him to get a job or whatever. And, you know, the parents pushing him. Talk to him. So I go and meet with the kid. I said, your mom's on your case, huh? And she goes, oh, God. She says, you watch TV a lot. She says, I know. I love it. What do you watch on TV a lot? Every possible show that deals with, you know, forensic medicine, solving problems and crime scenes and things like that. He says, you I said, you love that. And he goes, I love it. I said, is that what you want to do in life? He said, that is exactly what I want to do. I want to be solving crimes. I said, have you told your mother that? She won't listen. She won't hear it. She wants me to be this or that or that. I said, I said she's blocking it out because she's projecting her own wounds on the past onto you about how you're supposed to be for fear of what you're going to be. Have you tell her? It's, Let's go tell her. I'm, I've got your side because I know you'll excel at that. If you're spending six hours a day watching those shows, that must be meaningful to you. He says, it is. I take notes. I'm trying to solve the problem before they even get to the end of the, the movie, the show. I said, great. I talked to the mom. I said, let's go online right now and let's find out what educational pathway a person takes to do forensic sciences like that. And she's like freaking out. She goes, he wants to do it. And she turns to him and says, is that what you really want to do? I said, mom, I've been telling you that all along. That's all I watch on TV. That's what I want to do. You keep wanting me to be somebody or not. She goes, okay, okay, okay. 
And so they went online and they found some of the curriculum it takes to do that forensic thing. He said, put me in that school and I will excel. I promise you. And she goes, that's really what you want to do? They cried and they hugged each other on the spot. She finally got it. And he was set free and he excelled because he found out what he really wanted to do. And so even watching those TVs and things like that, sometimes it's a it's an escape because your life is unfulfilled because you feel futile. And other times it's got a pattern. And even in that, if you know how to ask the right questions, you can unveil the pattern in that because there's something in it. It may be social connections. It may be networking and being in a business involved in society. There are people that live on social networking and interacting with people. They make millions doing that. My son's a YouTube guy. He's got 40,000 people following him. That's his love. And video games. He's going to make millions out of video games. That's what he's done since age three is video games. So you don't want to project a judgment on the past generation onto the new generation. Find out what they're inspired by and fill out these questions really honestly. Not their escapes, but the things that really mean something to them. Because if you get all 13 questions, if one of them is just watching TV, that's not going to show the same pattern. You're going to find the pattern in all of it. And that's what matters. Mm. So I'm I'm absolutely certain there's no floundering out there. There's nobody lazy in their highest values. They're just lazy when people expect them. They put a label on them, lazy, unmotivated. When when somebody else projects onto them an expectation to do something that's not in their highest values. When I was a teenager, I wasn't lazy. I was surfing 11 hours a day. Surfing was my focus. That's all. Yeah. 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 That's there. <laughs> that, that's huge. So how does one, so you did mention before, so, so it's important to sort of know, are you doing it to kind of, you know, hide and, and run away or is it, is that actually the love and the focus? So if someone's, let's say, cause you said if they were unfulfilled, so how does somebody discover fulfillment and regain clarity in their life if they're a little bit lost right now? All they have to do is anytime you set a goal or an objective or take actions that are not congruent and aligned with what you value most, you self-depreciate and you go down and you feel depressed and feel frustrated and feel like an Indian. And then you want to meet a gratification and you go off on the amygdala for an addiction or consumption or sex or something else just to avoid your, your doldrums. But finding out what that is and structuring your life and prioritizing your life in that direction and asking quality questions. What is that I would absolutely love to do? How do I get handsomely and beautifully paid to do it? Because I, I've got a case right now. I've got a, I could show you a, a lady that loved playing with her dog. We turned it into a $25 million net worth playing with a friggin' dog. He became the most famous dog in New York and in California. And he ended up, they have their own television show. I mean, they made fortune out of it. And she started with it. She loved playing with her dog. That was it. I said, how do you get paid to do it? We figured out how to get enormously paid to do that. He became a mascot for Milk Bone Dog Biscuit, a competitor to Gidget, the Taco Bell dog. I mean, we made it into something amazing. So it doesn't matter where you start. It's about how do you package what it is you would love to do in a way that serves other people. So you can be remunerated in sustainable fair exchange in a way that makes you can't wait to get up in the morning and be able to delivering of service and people can't wait to get it. There's a science of doing that. It's asking the right questions and then prioritizing your actions on a daily basis to do that. And then asking what obstacles might you run into and how do you solve them in advance? And then asking what worked and what didn't work on a daily basis and how do I do it more effectively and efficiently tomorrow? And how did, no matter what happened to me, how did it get me closer to that objective? You ask those questions, you're not going to hold yourself back. You're going to move forward and do something extraordinary. Yeah, this is incredible. 
How does self-sabotage come into the play with this? If people are doing everything they want in their values and they're doing what they love, how come people self-sabotage? There is no self-sabotage. I've been doing this 49 years in personal development. That's, that, that word, throw it out. It's not a truth. Self-sabotage means that you're pursuing something that's not deeply meaningful, thinking it is. Because you don't give up on something that's deeply. Right now, can you see that you love teaching, you love doing what you're doing in the podcast and studying and learning and stuff like that? Okay. Do you ever stop doing that? No. No. But if you were, if I were to say, I want you to start cooking cupcakes. I would give, I'd I'd do it one time and see if it was fun. And then I'd probably. (laughs) No, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pursue it. Yeah. It's not inspiring to you. It's not your thing. It'd be like me driving car. I haven't driven a car in 32 years. Anything that's low on your values, I delegate to a specialist. All I do is teach, research, write, and travel. That is it. There is nothing else. I, I'm even, I've been even told that, you know, I delegate sex to my, to my girlfriend, to a specialist. I hired Hugh Jackman and Brad Pitt and George Clooney and them. I said, I tell my wife, I tell my girlfriend, I said, listen, my wife passed away. If I tell my girlfriend, I said, if I was to organize George Clooney or Brad Pitt to make love with you, would you still love me? They always say, I love you even more. So I, 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 I try to delegate. That's a joke. I just try to delegate everything. Yeah. So I get to do what's the one thing that I absolutely love doing. And that is a very powerful tool that most people are afraid to take action on. But if you don't delegate, you can't live an inspired life. And if you don't prioritize what you do every day, entropy is going to take over and decay your potential. So you want to make sure that you actually are identifying what's valuable, structuring a way where it's actually serving and recompensated for it, and get on with what's priority. That's the key. It raises your self-worth. It increases your your momentum-building escalation of, of power. And you end up achieving more and getting more income from it. So there's no reason why you can't live an extraordinary financially viable life doing something you really, really love to do. Otherwise, you got a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' end life and escaping all the time. Mm-hmm. But the sabotage I've never seen. I've been doing this 49 years. I haven't seen one sabotage. But people think it's sabotage when they expect to do something that's not really important to them. And then they wonder why they can't stay focused on it long. Just like the financial independence. They, what they really want is that lifestyle, that rich and famous, and then they can't save. And they can't seem to be able to save. They keep spending it away because they yeah. don't really have a value on saving and investing. They have a value in buying stuff to make them feel better. If somebody has a limiting belief around what they value the highest, like say, for example, if they were their value- highest belief, it's Sorry. not their highest belief. That's my point. Limited beliefs are injected values by outer authorities, period. Limited beliefs are ejected values from outer authorities you're subordinating to and trying to live like instead of be authentic to you. You don't have limited beliefs in the area of what you do best. Where's your limited belief about what you do? I don't know. Not what you really love doing. No, because you just stay with it and you persevere and you don't stop. But if the second you go outside your core competence and go into other areas and try to be somebody you're not, limited beliefs are coming in. And the purpose of limited beliefs are getting you back to what's authentic sabotage, limited beliefs, or all those self-help things are a result of the fantasies of positive thinking, trying to be only one-sided. There's no one-sided person in the world, but that sets up people to think, oh, I got a negative thought. Oh, I'm beating myself up. Oh, I keep sabotaging. No, those are feedback mechanisms to let you know that you're pursuing a fantasy. You're not pursuing a real objective that's really important to you. It's a feedback. It's a gift. It's guiding you. Yeah. It's guiding you to quit going off and trying to be somebody you're not. It's everything is leading you to authenticity. 
And every symptom in your life is getting you, trying to get you back to authenticity. And the moment you get that, whew, huge loads off your back. Stop trying to be somebody you're not and give yourself permission to be you. You want to be loved for appreciated for who you are. How are you going to do it if you keep trying to be somebody you're not? This is huge. And I know the number one thing people sitting here thinking that they've probably got so many more questions. Everyone, because I, I, I read your values factor a few years ago and now I'm like, I need to revisit this because I remember it was one of like probably the best books I've ever read. So guys, go and get the values factor, one of the greatest freaking books. But if knowing everything you know now, if you were to restart, what would you do differently? Nothing. If you look back at your life and you can't say thank you for every piece, it's baggage. I don't look that way. I look at it as everything is a step on the way. Everything is a step. Yeah. There's nothing you need to do something. If you look back at your life, the only time you ever think you make a mistake is when you compare your actions to somebody else's values. You never make a mistake in your own values. And the only time you think somebody else makes a mistake when you compare their actions to your values. And if you project your values on them self-righteously, they're going to they're let you down. You're going to feel betrayed. If you try to inject their values, other people's values into you, you're going to let yourself down because you're going to feel you betrayed yourself. That's why people think they've self-sabotaged. They're trying to live in other people's values. That's why the herd instinct that some people have, the they don't have the courage to walk against the herd. But who's going to make wealth in life? The herd? The average person's not wealthy. So if you follow the herd, you're going to be poor. If you go and find the contrary in view and find out what your independent path is and give yourself permission to, to be an unborrowed visionary, not a borrowed visionary, you will do great in life, but you got to be f- true to your own highest values, not somebody else's. That's this the key is, to the game. Yeah, this has been freaking amazing. I'm super mindful of your time. I know you guys are about to shoot off over there. Where can everybody find you on social media and online and follow you and get all of your stuff? The, the simplest place to find me is just go on drdmartini.com. drdmartini.com, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. There is thousands of radios, television, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, interviews, thousands. There's YouTubes. There's there's online programs. There's videos. There's online uh, seminars. There's, there's tons of stuff. on. You could be busy on there. You'd almost have to believe in Buddhism or Hinduism in a, in a reincarnation to be able to come back multiple lives to get all the stuff that's on there. So you do, you're going to be busy on there. There's so much on there. It's an educational website for people. To help people do something extraordinary with their life. I love it. Uh, awesome. Well, I, I've got one final question to ask you um, before we wrap this up. Are you ready? Sure. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? You're on track. Stay with it. Keep focused. Give yourself permission to do what you're here to do. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.